Thanks for joining us at Faith Bible Chapel. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and brings you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service, find a small group, or simply find out more about the church, stop by our website at www.faith.church. We're continuing with our series on the book of Mark, and we're walking kind of chunk by chunk through the book of Mark, and it's important to do that because it helps you understand the context of why Jesus is saying this, and then later when he says something, he's referencing back to something we've already talked about, so it builds layer upon layer upon layer, and the reason why you preach the Bible contextually as we are doing is it because that is, that's the manner in which it was written. It was written as a whole. It was written as an experience, and, and uh, it, it'd be weird for you to jump in in the middle of my life story and take something and then run and apply that somewhere else. And I said, no, 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 don't, don't do that because you don't know what happened before or what after, what happened after. And so you wouldn't totally understand or apply it properly. So we are walking through this book. And today I, I want to ask you a question about this, this whole idea of anger because here's the, here's the reality. We live in an angry, hostile world. Don't you agree with me? I mean, people are like ticked off. They, they will fly off a handle. And if you have a problem with the word ticked off, I'm going to use it a few times today. So anyway, don't write me an email. I won't read it. So here we go. So people are so mad about everything. And in this passage, we're going to find Jesus gets angry. He gets ticked off about something. And we need to ask the question, why are we so mad? Why are you so mad? What is it? Where's where's this thing coming from? What is this boiling, bubbling volcano that you think you have under control until all of a sudden one day it spews all over people and you think, "Uh uh-oh, where did that come from? Well, listen, I believe Jesus is going to help us look deep in our hearts and bring healing and restoration to our lives. Because let me give you just a a few facts about anger this morning. Um, Here's here's one fact. Um, On average... A woman, I know just by saying that alone, I'm like, ter- I'm stepping into territory. Loses, <laughs> I can hear it. I can, I can hear your eyeballs. Loses her temper three times a week. While on average, the man loses his temper about six times a week. Man, tell you what. Women get, get, get angry. Now, here's, here's the difference. Women get angry at people while men get angry at things like washing machines and cars and dishwashers, whatever. Single adults actually express anger twice as often per week as married adults. Men are far more physical in their anger. They act it out. It's, it's an action. Women it, it mostly internalize it. And this isn't all the case, but this is most of the case. And then here's the last one. You are more likely to express anger at home than anywhere else. And so this whole issue with anger is really important. And so I want us to read this passage and see about how Jesus got angry, why he got angry, how he dealt with it. And then we'll get into learning some lessons from Jesus. Mark chapter 3. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now, I want you just to see what Jesus is doing. Jesus was always kind of poking these religious 
um, freaks just right in the forehead all the time. He's always poking them. Always. And so here he is in a synagogue. They have rules. You're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, hey, you, get up in front of everybody. I want to do something. He's making a point. Another time, sorry, excuse me. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? And so we asked these religious leaders this question, but they remained silent. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. Why? He looked around and in anger, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. So he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus had anger. And this is something we need to understand. How, how do we have anger? And so I just, some, some quick lessons today. First of all is this. When it comes to anger in our lives, we need to understand where it, where it comes from. And number one on your notes there is this. Not all anger is actually bad anger. A lot of times we think any type of anger is sinful. It's always bad. But sometimes anger is the most appropriate response according to the situation. Actually, anger was given to you by God to be applied. It is in us. It's an emotion that God placed in you to use in the right place. It's a capacity for you. God gave you a capacity to get angry about certain things. And there are, there are some times that you should get anger, angry. Sometimes anger also is an evidence of love. So if someone was causing problems, let's say, in our church and bringing division, well, myself and the leaders, we'd be angry, like, knock it off. No, no, you're not going to do that. I'd get angry. If someone was hurting my wife or hurting my kids, or guess what? I'm going to get angry. If I didn't get angry at those things, that would show something in, that, that's lacking in my life, like care, love. There would be some type of apathy in me that I wouldn't care if the church was being hurt or, the, or my kids are being hurt. I wouldn't care. That would reveal something in me. So there are times of your life, and I want, to, want us to understand this, there are times in your life you should get angry. The problem is not the anger. The problem is whether it's expressed in the right way with the right motive. What, how are we expressing the anger, anger and why are we expressing it? Because Jesus did it perfectly. He was perfect in all of his expressions. And we find that he got angry. And so managed and controlled anger is actually a good thing. Because it, it, it produces Good protected marriages and families to say, wait a minute, no, we're not having that. I'm not, I'm not having that in our home. We don't want that in our lives. And so you get angry against the right things. It produces good leadership because it helps bring clarity to what is right and wrong. It produces good churches, good businesses, and other things. Knowing how to put anger in its proper place, very, very important. Knowing how to use it in the proper way is very important, but here's the reality. Most of us do not know how to do that. You know why? Because we don't have very many good examples on how to do it. And so we are challenged by Jesus in this passage today on how to have anger that actually is right. Most people think, you know, anger is all sinful. So, so when they think of Jesus and they're confused, when they think of Jesus getting angry, they think, well, how, how come Jesus can get angry and be perfect because anger is always sinful? Actually, no, it's not. 
He was perfect and he never sinned. He applied anger in the right situations at the right times to bring forth the right results because he was perfect. So in order for us to get this today, and I want us to understand what the Word of God says to us today, first you need to know this. There are actually two types of anger in the Bible. They're broken up into two, two different types. Some is harmful and destructive, but there's another kind that's holy and just. But I want to look at the, this first one is, is you can have on your notes. It's this furious rage. We find it in Scripture. The, actually, the, the Greek word to this is thermos. It means it's a blazing fire. It's uncontrollable. If you get close to it, you're going to get hurt and burned. And that's just the way it is. It's a blazing fire. And this, this word is actually used, Paul was writing a letter to this church in Ephesus, just like you and me. And this is what he said in Ephesians chapter 4. He said this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. This is the word thermos. He, this blazing anger, this uncontrollable anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. So these religious leaders that Jesus is talking to, he's, he's interacting with, he's dealing with, Allow this, this rage and anger to be a part of who they are. They, they allowed it to grow in their hearts. They allowed it to, to take root in their minds. They allowed it to be their processing or how they processed. So much so it built up in them, as, you, as we saw at the end of the passage, that from that moment forward they plotted to kill him. It was to a place they were so angry and they didn't control it so much it led them to murder. This is the kind of... This, this is this harsh anger, it's explosive, it arises from an uncontrolled temper. And many of us, in, in, we, we have phrases that we use in our, in our world when we see people acting like this, like, you know, like crazy eyes and crazy faces. We say this, well, they, they blew a fuse, they had a conniption fit, they blew a gasket, they flipped out, they freaked out, they went bonkers, they went mental. They had a meltdown. I found this one still, it's kind of funny. It says, they went mad cow on you. They just lost their minds. They had a nuclear meltdown. That's the thermos. Matter of fact, the National Institute of Mental Health has developed a term for this type of anger. In short, they call it IED, but it stands for this intermittent explosive disorder. It's thermos. It's this rage and it's anger. It's furious rage. We see it on the road. We see it on the news. And unfortunately, we see it in our homes. There's a story about Alexander the Great, who was one of the, one of the most brilliant military minds. And he had a lot of issues, I know. But among one of those issues, he had a volatile temper. And one of, one of his closest generals was, a, was a, actually a childhood friend. His name was Cletus. They grew up together. And actually, Cletus saved Alexander in a battle. And they were at a banquet one evening. And Alexander the Great became angry. And he grabbed a spear. And he meant to scare his friend Cletus. But he chucked the spear at his friend. And he didn't miss him. It hit him square in the chest. And it killed him. And from that, point, from that moment, Alexander the Great fell into a, a deep depression. And the historians write that he called out, they could hear him calling out for days to his friend Cletus that he had murdered out of a fit of rage. One historian wrote this. He says, Alexander the Great conquered many countries. 
but he failed miserably to conquer his temper. You see, we can have a lot of great qualities, and all of us in this room do. We can have a lot of wonderful things that we can offer and we can do and we can accomplish. But if you don't deal with the anger, this, this, this furious rage in you, it will rob you from the things that God has for you. It will rob you. Proverbs 16 says this, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. You see, we live, in a, we live in a society that champions the warriors and champions those who take cities, but we don't deal with this idea of patience and self-control. We have it in our own church. We talk about how much we do, how much we accomplish, how much we, but here's the deal. If you don't have patience and if you don't have self-control, it will rob you of your life. There is a cost of furious rage. So we're, we're going to talk about, about how we can actually deal with it because so many times we don't even know where it comes from. It just, zoom, it just happens. But there's a cost. And you think, no, no, it, it doesn't cost me, Jason. It just gives me my edge. It gives me, that, that's, what I, that, that's, how I, that's what I lean into. And what, actually what that is, it's, it's learned behavior that we've learned to, to kind of use it or leverage it because it's, we, we've seen some good results from it. But the reality is this, it will rob you of everything in your life that's actually good. It'll, it'll rob you of your reputation. It'll rob you of the, of the respect of others. It can rob you of your job. It can rob you of the love from your family. It can rob you of your health. And it can rob you of opportunity because you cannot be trusted because no one ever knows who's coming to the table of the meeting. And you will lose opportunity and you will no longer be invited to those meetings. In a leadership book called Leadership Pain, it says the most damaging thing that you could ever do as, as you are leading and influencing others is to lose your temper around those that you lead. It's the most damaging thing you could ever do. If they see you getting angry over things that aren't going their way or your way or because of an insecurity in, in you, they see you getting angry over this, you lose influence immediately. And it's almost impossible to gain it back. So, please hear me today. God didn't intend for you to carry around this furious rage inside of you. It affects you. It affects every area of your life. And it doesn't matter how well we eat. If it's organic, 100% natural, no hormones, maybe it's macrobiotic, whatever, eat to live, whatever. If you're carrying anchor in your life, it will affect your health. They actually have done studies of people who struggle with anger or stress, and, and they, they, it has different, different aspects of the brain. And so what happens when you are angry, it actually shuts down circulation to certain core organs of your body, like the liver. And when, you, when that happens so often, when it, happen, that also, it also affects the heart, it affects blood pressure. All of that happens and it can affect you and rob you of your physical health. So it's, it's not so much what you're eating, though that's, it's important, but it's not so much what you're eating. What's really is the issue is what is eating you. What is going on inside of you? Parents in, in particular, let me just speak to you just for a moment. You know, as parents, you know, we can learn really quickly that you can scare kids into doing something. 
by getting angry at them, by, by leveraging your anger, anger. And then all of a sudden you create a culture in your own house when every, everyone does everything that, that, they want, that you want them to do because they're afraid that if they don't, you're going to go off on them. You're going to flip your lid. And we see that as a way of control. That's called manipulation. And it's not to be in the place of a home that's called a Jesus-centered home. But we use anger to get people to do a lot of things. Why do we do that? One, because it works. It gets people to fall on the line, fall in line. It gets people to, to do what you want them to do in the short term. But in the long-term effects, it can be devastating to your home. It can be devastating to your relationships. You can get people to do almost anything by frightening them into doing it. But when you scare people, when you scare people to get them to, to do something, you, you create a culture of fear. There are short-term payoffs, but long-term devastations. Long-term, this is what it does. One, it creates more anger because then you get angrier and angrier, and then in them, what, what you do, you produce the fruit of anger in them. Another thing it does, it creates apathy in your children because your children think, well, they're always going to be angry, so what's the point of me even trying to please them because they're always going to be ticked off at me anyway? And then at that point, it creates a separation in your relationship where now all of a sudden there's this alienation because they're like, forget it, I can't trust them anymore. And they're going to get angry. I can't please them anyway, so why even hang out with them? Nothing destroys relationships faster than this first type of anger we're looking at. So if you just keep using it in your relationship, you are guaranteeing, please hear me, you're guaranteeing, you're, you're going to guarantee you're going to destroy that relationship and create anger, apathy, alienation. And the reality is this, furious rage is real. I think every one of us have some in us, but we need to deal with it. You might be here today and say, man, this is nailing me, Jason. Listen. I want to give you hope today. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. That's what the word of God is about. It exposes things in us and offers healing and restoration and life at the same time. You might be married to someone who struggles with furious rage and you think there's no hope. Listen, there is hope. Jesus brings hope in every desperate situation. With God's help, you can control your anger. And that starts by asking God to heal your heart, to embrace the gospel, to begin living from the place that I am a new creation. The old has passed away and the, and the acts of the flesh I no longer want in my life. But here's the beautiful thing about God. He reveals things. He shows us what's going on in our hearts. He offers the solution. And he says, then I will give you the power to walk it out because it's all about him anyway. You don't have the strength in you to overcome any anger issues that you have. You don't have it. But Jesus does. The cross of Jesus Christ crushed the curse of anger on your life. And if you are in Jesus, you have access to live from his life, not your past mistakes or sin or the curse of sin. Amen? So that's what we're leaning into today. But this is, it's important, though, to expose these things in our hearts. But then Jesus offers hope. Another biblical word that describes anger, and this is the one that Jesus is, is talking about here, is this one right here, and it's righteous indignation. This is what we just read. This is what we just saw. 
This is what the writer of, of Ephesians, Paul, says in Hebrews 4. He says this, in your anger, do not sin. This is a different type of anger. This is holy, righteous anger. Also, it says this, that you can have righteous, holy anger, and if you don't control it, you can step into sin. But you can have righteous indignation, as Jesus did. Furious rage is harmful anger, but this is about, this is about holy anger. This is about doing things and, and being moved to things that are right because they are unjust. And so you want to help correct them. Jesus never had furious rage. He never did. He was perfect. He had anger, but he never sinned. So here's the question. How, then how, how do we know what to have holy anger towards? And how do we know what to, here's, here's, here's how you know. What made Jesus mad? And whatever made Jesus mad gives you the permission to be mad at the same thing. We should, we should have the same righteous indignation as Jesus did towards injustices. Jesus asked the religious, legalistic, controlling people at the time, he said this, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Well, duh. It's, it's, the answer is this, well, do good and save a life. But notice in the scripture, they didn't say anything. Because they were under this first type of anger. They were, they were furiously enraged. They were frustrated. They weren't interested in truth. They were interested in catching Jesus. They were interested in using their anger to manipulate him to be what they wanted him to be. It's the same thing today for those who are in furious anger. The wrong kind. They're not interested in having a conversation. They're not interested in reasoning together. They're not, they're not interested in, in okay, listen, may, maybe I'm not. They're not interested in any of that. They're just interested in being right. That's it. They're interested in getting their way. They're interested in making sure that, that everyone knows they're angry about something that's not going their way. And matter of fact, these people will even make things up that aren't even true to justify their anger. And that's what they did to Jesus. It, we do it the same way today. Those who are controlled, those who, who walk in this furious rage, it, it is something that by the gospel and the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ, he can heal you and bring peace to this blazing fire inside of your heart. Then the Bible says this, that Jesus looked at them in anger. That's one thing I don't want to be, be on the other side of. Jesus looking at me in anger. But it was this righteous indignation. He was deeply distressed about their stubborn hearts, which is their immaturity. And Jesus was angry at their hardened hearts. They cared more about Sabbath rules, getting their way, their preferences, than the needs of a man with a withered hand. They were more, here's a man who was a withered hand. And remember, back in those days, you you. you you had to work for a living. He had one hand and wasn't able to use the other. And so they had no compassion. They didn't care. All they cared about was what they wanted. And they were angry with Jesus. They didn't see the man who was hurting. They didn't see the man with the withered hand. But they did see themselves. They cared more about their needs. It's the same context today for those who struggle and have to walk through this, this first type of anger. Is they care more about their needs. Their preferences in church, in life, 
They care more about them than the needs of a lost and dying and broken generation in our own community. You see it come out. You see it happen. They're the first to talk about what they want versus what can help reach that lost person. You see it come out about, but I don't like that. Not, you know what, 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 can, what can we do? Where can I compromise so that we can reach another family for Jesus Christ? It's these are the same people that function under the same furious rage as the Pharisees. They were like old wineskins that we talked about earlier. Their attitudes were angry. And Jesus today is still not pleased with that type of anger. And I've found this, and and maybe you have as well. Those people who are the most religious seem to have the hardest hearts out of most people. And I don't know why that is, but here's the challenge. This can happen in all of our hearts. If we don't forgive, if we don't release, if we don't examine ourselves, if we're not open to change, if we don't see people through God's eyes, if we always need to be right, if we always need it our way, if we can't ever be wrong, then our hearts become hardened. And so as we, as we are desiring to follow Jesus and be men and women of the Word of God, the question is this, what are then the marks of righteous anger? Because this, this is a real question. What are the marks of righteous anger? Number one, what can we learn from Jesus is, number one, the mark is this. Righteous anger, it makes the distinction between the problem and the person because there is a distinction. Righteous anger is when you find an injustice or a sinful problem, you, you feel it. You start to get a little angry. And we should be angry about things that are, that are unjust. We should be angry at things that God is, is, would get mad about. We should be angry about the fact that our country has killed over 46 million unborn babies since 1973. I'm not angry with the women who have made that heartbreaking choice, I hurt for them. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is for them, to heal them. But I'm angry that our country legalizes it. We should be outraged about how pornography has enslaved so many men and robbed so many marriages of intimacy. We should be angry that our nation is legally changing God's original definition of marriage. We should be angry that, that there are more slaves today in, in, in today's hour, and to, right now today, on the face of the planet than ever have been in history. There are more slaves today. It's called human trafficking. It is, it is an epidemic around our world. We should be angry of the genocide that's happening in other countries, that Christians are being wiped off, wiped off the face of the planet, and no one says a word about it. We should be angry about that. Jesus didn't attack the Pharisees, though. He was angered by their stubborn attitudes, and he didn't attack the merchants at the temple either. These are righteous acts of anger. In, in, in the passage where we read about Jesus, where he, he went into the temple, it says before he went, he went and he wove his own whip. I mean, like, wove his own. This is like premeditated whipping and table flipping. He wasn't after the people. 
He, he was after destroying what they were doing to people. They were exploiting worshipers who were traveling and, they, and they, couldn't, they couldn't bring their own animals. So you had to buy animals for your own sacrifices at the temple to, plea, you know, to, to bring an offering to God. But they were exploiting them. They were charging them so much. And, and it, was, it, was, it was ridiculous. And so Jesus, he's like, I'm sick of this. This, this will not be. And he started flipping tables. And Jesus never attacked the people. That's what happens for us. We start attacking people instead of attacking really what's going on, instead of attacking the issues at hand. Righteous anger, though, this is what it does. And please hear me today. Righteous anger leaves room for, for reasoning, reconciliation, and repentance. Righteous anger leaves room for reasoning, reconciliation, and repentance. If your anger towards something or someone doesn't leave room for these, then we are angry without the gospel in mind because the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about reasoning, coming to grips with really what's going on in our own lives, reconciliation, and repentance. That's what the gospel is about. And number two, what is a mark of righteous anger so that we can ask God to help us step into this is number two, it is birthed from a heart transformed by Jesus. This is not about behavior modification. Listen, you cannot deal with the curse of anger on your life by yourself. You can't deal with it. But there is a scripture that says that cursed is every man that was hung on a tree, meaning this, all of the curses that are on your life were nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. And if you are in Jesus Christ, you have access to be free from all of those curses on your life. Amen to that? I, I struggle often when we want to trace everything back to a curse from something that my great-grandpappy did or some, some sin my Uncle Bob did. Listen, what are we doing? We're elevating the sin of man over the work of Jesus Christ. That's why what, what, what so many times in these curse areas, we live in the first half of that scripture that says that, that the curse falls on the third and fourth generations. But then, it says, but then it says to the righteous, the blessing comes to a thousand generations. So we need to start living in the transformation reality of the gospel and the cross of Jesus Christ. Stop elevating what your great-grandpappy did over the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? You're not bound to that anymore. It might be learned behavior, but that doesn't own you one bit. The blood of Jesus has conquered that. Walk in your freedom that he's purchased for you. But righteous anger is birthed from a, from a transformed heart by Jesus. This isn't anger that's based off of our preferences. It, this is anger that's based off of God's preferences. So many times we think, we think, oh, yeah, but I'm mad. Okay, is God mad about it? If the answer is no, then you shouldn't be mad either. Righteous anger is an overflow from us knowing the righteous one. Righteous anger is an overflow of knowing his word and knowing his will in my heart, knowing and embracing the reality that he has made me new and I'm going to live in the identity that he has called me to live in. Without this, we will be in the flesh, not in the spirit. You can be saved and sanctified and you can be going to heaven, but you can still be living in these areas of the flesh in your life. And you must be transformed 
Our hearts every day, every breath, every moment, we need to recognize, Jesus, I need you to transform my heart. I am being sanctified. I am being made into the image of Jesus Christ. I'm not there yet, so God, today I recognize I need you to to, to meet me here. I need you to transform my heart. I need you to heal my heart. The reason that rage is on the rise, the reason why we have screaming families and Livid living rooms and violent vacations and cursing children and conflict in kitchens and loveless bedrooms has little to do with circumstances and has everything to do with we. And I'm going to be honest with you for a moment. We, the church, have stopped having our hearts transformed by Jesus and our minds washed by the Word of God. We've stopped submitting ourselves to his lordship and humbling ourselves under his mighty hand and trusting that in due time he will heal us and lift us up. The reason our mouths, our anger, our attitudes are not controlled, our lives are tensed, it's not because of the teacher, it's not the teacher's fault, it's not the pastor's fault, it's not the relative's fault, it's not the husband's fault, it's not the, the wife's fault, it's not the, 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 the boss's fault, it's not the Democrat's fault, it's not the Republican's fault, it's because we've stopped allowing our hearts to be transformed by Jesus Christ. And from that, things come out of our mouth that we we think, yeah, I'm angry. Yes, you are. Jesus said this, and and this is is a challenging word today. I'll bet you wish you were camping somewhere. (laughs) This is a challenging word. Look at Matthew chapter 12. Jesus says this. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, the problem is not my mouth. It's not my tongue. It's not the words that are, that are formed by by the air passing through my vocal cords and formed, that's actually not the problem according to Jesus. The problem is my heart. Because what's coming out of here is representing what is in here. My, My mouth reveals what's inside of me. And the challenge is this, my friends, Your mouth reveals what's inside of you. No, it doesn't, Jason. No, no. No, you know, sometimes, I don't know what got into me, but but that's, that's that's not like me. Yeah, it is. It's exactly like you. Our mouths reveal what is in our hearts. If it wasn't, and listen to this, if it wasn't in your heart, it wouldn't have come out of your mouth. That's what Jesus said. And our, our mouth is like, is like the water pump. You know, have you ever seen those little water pumps and you, and you, just, and you go up and down and finally water starts coming out? It's our, that's our mouth. It's the pump. What if we were to do that and all of a sudden the water came out and we were to taste it and it's sour and it's rotten. And we think, oh, you know what I'll do? 
I'll just sand this water pump down and put some new paint on it and, and oil it up. The problem is when you pump the pump, you might, it might look good, look better. The water is still bad. You need a new well. You, you, and, and, and our hearts are the well. And our mouth is the pump. This is what Jesus has said to us. We need to take a step forward. We need the transformation of Jesus Christ. We don't need to make our pump look better, which we are all masters at the painting of our pumps. We're masters. We say something out of anger and frustration, and then we, then we make up for it over here, and we do this, and we jump through this hoop over here, and we do this, and we do this, but we never address the reality is that our, our well, our heart is soured. We haven't come to grips with things. We haven't allowed the, the gospel of Jesus to transform us and change us. Friends, we need a heart transplant every day. Every hour, we need to lean into Jesus. Your family needs you to allow Jesus Christ to transform your heart. You need the Word of God to wash your mind. You will never, ever live the life of peace and joy that you desire and long for without allowing Jesus to come into your life and transform you every day of your life. We need a heart transplant. You need a new heart. It's like what David said out of Psalm 51. He said this, create in me a pure heart, O God. Create in me a pure heart. Now, you don't have the ability to do it yourself. This isn't about you working harder to get anger out. This is, this is about you acknowledging you need a brand new heart. You, you need him to cleanse, you need Jesus to cleanse your heart. And that's what all of us need to say today. God, I need a clean heart. God, I, I need you to meet me right where I am. And what your marriage needs is for both of you to seek a heart transformation, to open your life to him. We all, every one of us in this room, need healing in this area. And we need our hearts transformed by Jesus. We need, to, we need to fall in love with Jesus more and more and more. And if we do that, if we come to him, I'll tell you what will happen. You and this church will transform and change the world because your heart will be transformed and changed by Jesus. I promise you it will happen. And so in all of this, and in, in, even this, you know, the sense today, man, this is so challenging. We immediately, we struggle between the sense of performance, work harder so that God can touch me. Work harder so that God, no, no. God says, humble yourself. God says, surrender yourself. God says, come to me. And this is what Jesus says to you. If you will open your heart to him today, this is what he says out of Ezekiel 36. He says, I will give you a new heart and will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart, from you, a heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will give you a new heart. 
I will remove the callousness of, of maybe your life and what you grew up with, what kind of father you had or mother you had or, or, or upbringing you had or, or maybe the pattern of thinking and reacting and parenting of anger. I, I will remove, if you will just come to me, if you will surrender yourself to me, if you will give me all that you have today, I will put in you a new heart and a new spirit and I will remove from you that heart of stone that's been callous and I will give you a brand new heart of flesh, one that is soft and pliable that I can do something with. I will meet you today. I will deliver you from the spirit of fear living. I will deliver you from the sense of performing all the time. I'll deliver you from you trying to protect yourself from your own self. I'll just put a new heart in you so that what comes out is actually what's in your heart and it's pleasant and it's good and it's from your relationship with me. I will transform you through a relationship with me. That's what God is saying today. That's what we need. That's what our church needs. That's what your family needs. That's what I need. I need to be transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, check our website at www.faith.church.